What's up, fam? You're about to hear a message from Hope Valley Church in Denver, Colorado. We are a new, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church and campus ministry in Denver, Colorado. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for like a day or a whole lifetime, we trust that this message will help you take your next steps to follow him. If you're in the Denver metro area, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You can check us out at our website at hvdenver.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, however you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Let's jump in. So we're going to get into the Word today. We're continuing our series in Luke, uh, and we're not... We're not veering from this, uh, our work through the book of Luke for Advent, but I think instead we're going to see Advent in the book of Luke all the way through it, and that's pretty exciting for me. Today's message is going to be called Time for a Miracle. Time for a Miracle. And we're going to examine our relationship with time, God's relationship with time, and the intersection of those two things where they come together. If you're just joining us, uh, we're going through the book of Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. So we've got a big chunk of scripture today that Wayne will read for us, but we're all going to stand out of reverence for scripture. So go ahead and stand to your feet because uh, participation is better than? Excellent. So Mr. Wayne I almost called you Pastor Wayne. Let's just go ahead and prophesy that. (laughs) Pastor Wayne, uh, (laughs) go go ahead and lead us in this scripture. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went. The people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, and she touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that your word accomplishes the purpose for which you intend it because you watch over it to perform it. We thank you for the opportunity to hear it today. 
And we pray that you would press it into our hearts, that the miracle that it brings about would take root in all of us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So time for a miracle. Anybody need a miracle? Anybody give up on believing for a miracle? Anybody believe for a miracle for a period of time and then you got to the end of it and you just decided to move on from it? Without certainty that God said no, but without hope that he would do it, you just kind of gave up hope because you ran out of energy because maybe you feared that God ran out of energy? That's what this story is about today. About how God having enough energy and enough power and enough strength, even enough time, even when it seemed too late, Time's a funny thing. One of, the, one of my favorite weddings that I ever did was for a, a Ghanaian friend who was marrying a woman from, uh, from uh, so it was Togo and Ghana. And it was the least American wedding I've ever been a part of. And it was extraordinary. It was, the food was amazing. The party was amazing. They even did a dowry ceremony where everybody danced and brought in gifts. And that was amazing. But perhaps the most uh, different thing that happened is they said, you know, Pastor, we, we need you to, to show up. The, the wedding says 3 o'clock, uh, but don't show up until 7 o'clock. Because uh, that's when the ceremony is going to start. And, I, and so I was like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, so you're saying show up at 7 o'clock, even though the invitation said 3 o'clock. And they were like, yeah, I said, that's going to be real hard for me to do. Because I'm, I'm a five minutes earlier, you're late kind of guy. And you're telling me to show up three hours late. And so I trusted my friends, uh, Amen and Seti. And so, so I showed up 15 minutes late to what the invitation said. And it was me and a bunch of other white people, <laughs> me and a whole bunch of white Americans who had showed up because we followed the invitation and ignored their uh, advice to come when they were supposed to come because their relationship with time is different culturally. The relationship to time, uh, there's, there's something called monochronic time. That's when time moves in one direction, and that's the whole five minutes earlier, you're late kind of mindset. And then they've got what's called polychronic time, little communication theory here. Polychronic time is that time moves in many directions, and that it's a priority on relationship over a priority on timeliness. And so it's not a matter of not caring, but it's a matter of what are we caring about and where do we put the value. And so, so my friends, Amen and Seti, were putting the value on relationships. So they were living it up with the friendship wherever they were at each stage. And so when they showed up finally at 7 o'clock, uh, we were just getting started. So 7 o'clock was actually them telling me I'd be early. And I didn't really understand that. And, and I think sometimes uh, it's confusing for us when we interact with people from different cultures and the relationship with time is different. And I believe that the same problem exists in our relationship with God because he relates to time differently than we relate to time. And it's the source of a lot of conflict and trouble, not on God's side, but on our side towards him. So what I want to do this morning is I want to share quickly about God's relationship with time, our relationship with time, and the collision between them and where they intersect. God's relationship with time is different than ours because he exists outside of time. Before time, time is something that, that was created by God. 
in the book of in the book of John uh, in the book of John it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was with God and then you see that Jesus was basically there chilling with the Father and the Holy Spirit at the beginning and they said let there be and then everything started and that's how there was a beginning so the beginning exists because they made it to exist so they they exist without time they don't need it to exist does that make sense? So they kind of hover outside of our timeline. If you want to use kind of Avengers Marvel language, they're on a different, they're outside of the timeline and they opt to step into the timeline. And that's the beauty of the incarnation of Jesus is the ultimate entering of our timeline to say, hey, look, I know that I'm, I'm beyond this world, but I want to let you know that I'm intimately woven into this world at the same time. And I'm, it's not, there's a watchmaker theory held by some atheists that God maybe created things and then stepped away from it, or some, by some deist, really, not an atheist, but a deist would say, a clockmaker theory that he made the clock and he stepped away from it, and it's winding down, and eventually it's going to die because it needed more attention than he's giving it. But that's not the case with Jesus. That's not the case with the Father, but instead, he created everything, sustains everything, and then stepped into everything in order to let us know who he is and what he's like. So God's relationship with time is that he's the creator of it and he exists outside of it and he has a, a very uh, special relationship with it because in the creation of it, he built into time seasons. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, ironically, you know, I know Ecclesiastes gets a bad rap because Solomon was so just funky and depressed when he wrote it, but I love it. It might be my dark cynical streak, but Ecclesiastes, man, and Deuteronomy, that's where I go for encouragement. It's just where I find life. Figure that one out. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says, for everything there is a season at a time. For every matter under heaven. And then he lists off over six more verses the kinds of things that God has given time for a time to be born and a time to die, to plant and to pluck up what is planted, to kill, to heal, to break down and to build up, weep, to laugh, and so on. And then he says, what, what, what gain do we have from this toil? And he says, he has, it says, uh, Solomon concludes that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And that's a really challenging verse for me, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Because sometimes what God would call beautiful, I would call ugly. But it's beautiful to him because he knows the beginning from the end. He doesn't relate to time the same way we do. And, and so there, there's difficulty that might become us or there's difficulty that might become a season or an era or, or generations. But, but God looks at it and says, it, that's not the end of the story where you think there's a period, there's just a comma. This is a season, not a sentence. And I want you to know that, that there's, there's more happening. And I, I think that if we were the kind of people who were able to discern the beginning from the end, we would make different decisions too. If we knew what God knew about time and we knew what God knew about the results of the difficulty that we're in and the greatness that might come from it, we might even relate to the moment that we're in differently than we do. So God's relationship with time is different than ours. Our relationship with time is broken. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. We're, we're out of sync with time in a lot of different ways. Two ways that I can think of uh, that I've been reflecting on this week are that we're out of sync with God's time in terms of the day. For the first time since humans have lived on this earth, we're able to totally ignore the sun and the moon. 
We don't need it. With the invention of electricity, it's a fairly new human experiment to stay up late into the night and to work through the night. It's a fairly new human experiment to, to, to watch Netflix until 1 o'clock in the morning, right? Shocking our brains with all the stimulus and listening to these stories and watching these things and, and not only getting stimulation of story, but getting stimulation of light in the middle of the night. And then we struggle to wake up during the day and to be vibrant and alive, but, but we're out of sync with the day. We're, all, we're also out of sync with the season. Technology has afforded us the opportunity to live out of sync with the seasons, which is mind-blowing to any other generation. You know that it's a near miracle that you can have a banana today? It's, it's a near miracle that you can get an apple pie any time of the year. Y'all, it's miraculous the way that we're able to get f- the same food year-round from the grocery store without much hindrance. That's totally unlike the rest of the human experience. And it's certainly a human experiment to see what is the impact of having life lived this way. We can live in places that don't have food. We can live in places that don't have water because we're able to transport it there and we're able to find, find ways to get it to where it needs to be so that we would be sustained. But, it's, but these miracles are, are awesome and it's made life a lot easier, but it's also broken our relationship with seasons because it really doesn't matter what season it is. Our houses are warm in the winter and they're cool in the summer, no matter where you live. I'm baffled by the way that, that even in Denver, we, we try and have green lawns. I've shared before about, I've shared before about my gardening expertise if you need any hints about keeping a green lawn or, you know, just come to me after the service and I'll help you. Trust me, I'm a pastor. <laughs> It'll be really good. You know, it's miserable. It's so bad. I'm going to have a rock garden. That's what we're moving towards. Not on purpose. It's just I'm killing everything on accident. But, um, but our relationship with seasons is broken. Even our relationship with space is broken. Like, Space, like geographical space. That in Denver, we're trying to have a green lawn because we can. I, like, what, what, are we, what are we really doing? Planting grasses that have never grown here and watering them prolifically. Just, just, just this insatiable ground trying to keep this little strip of grass that we call a yard green so that we win our neighbor's respect. I don't know. That could be a different, uh, that could be a different soapbox, couldn't it? So we're out of sync with, with the day. We're out of sync with the season. Uh, and what's remarkable to me is that for the first time in all of human history, we've all got access to exactly what time it is. We all know exactly what time it is. Who's got to watch our phone on them? Who needs anybody else to know what time it is? And <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> That's just so good. So, so there's one in every group. But the rest of us know what time it is. And if she really needed to, she could find the clock somewhere else. But there, we're, we're, there's an abundance of access to know exactly what time it is. But for as much as we know what time it is, we don't understand what time it is. We know the time, but we don't understand the times. Family, we live out of sync with the seasons that God has ordained. We live out of sync with God's plan and purpose for our lives because because we have access to the exact information, but we don't understand what's happening within it. It's one thing to know exactly what time it is, to know the difference between 11 o'clock or 11.30 is my kid's lunchtime at school 
versus, you know, like by looking at a clock. But, but they don't have to look at a clock to know what time it is because they feel it in their body. Yes. It's lunchtime. Yes. It's about right. I saw a really funny video uh, after the, the clock changed this time. And this guy feeds his dog every day at 7 o'clock. Or, yeah, at 7 o'clock. So his dog shows up at exactly 7 o'clock every time because the dog understands what time it is. But when the clock changed, we all related to the number on the wall, and the dog's relating to the number in his tummy. And the dog shows up at 6 o'clock, and it's like, hey, where's the food, bro? And the man's like, you know, the clock says it's, you know, 6 o'clock. And the dog's like, yo, it's 7 o'clock up in here. The dog understood what uh, what time it was but it didn't know what time it was. Are you tracking? We see this relationship kind of come to a head uh, right here with this, with this, um, with, with Jesus interacting with both the woman with the issue of blood and with Jairus. Now I want to pause for a second to say that, that the life of the disciples, if they thought that they were getting off easy uh, because they were done with the demoniac and he got healed, things were just going to get crazier. I mentioned last week that the life of a disciple, uh, of a disciple is wild. It's unlike anything else on earth. Jesus was doing all these miracles. Then they went to the foreigner's land and they were met by a naked, crazy man who was beating everybody up. And then Jesus heals that naked, crazy man. And then instead of being loved by the crowd, they were kicked out by the crowd. There's actually a map of their their little journey that Andrew put a lot of energy into finding. And so I'm just going to steal it one more week. So if you guys got that map, yeah. So so they started in Capernaum. They went to Gergesa and then they went back to Capernaum. And so now we're coming back to Capernaum and the crowd is welcoming them. And the, and the crowd's saying, yeah, like, Jesus, we're so glad you're here. This is amazing. You're going to do miracles. You're going to heal us. This is going to be so good. It's going to be so good. And the disciples are probably thinking, oh, this is the way it's always supposed to been. This is why I signed up to follow you, Jesus, because I need, I knew the crowds would acknowledge who we are, <laughs> right? I imagine that they put themselves with Jesus in it. It's not like, Jesus, you're great, but we, we're great. And that's why the people are so glad to welcome us. And so they're sitting here on the crowd and then it just gets wild again. They're trying to walk, and the crowd presses in on them, and it's, a, and it's a mob, and they're pressing in, and they're trying to make their way in, and Jairus is like, my daughter's about to die. And Jesus is like, I got you. I'm coming. I'm on my way. And the crowd is pressing in, and they're slowed down, and they're hindered. And this woman with the issue of blood, in the midst of everybody in this crowd, she reaches out, she touches his garment, and she's healed. And Jesus is like, hold up. Who touched me? And I love Peter. We get this insight into the different personalities. Maybe you're a Peter type or maybe you're friends with one. But, but the Peters are the best. Peters, Peters are like, got to have the answer and settle it right away. Like, it doesn't even matter if it's the right answer. We're just answering this sucker so we can just move on. And so Jesus is like, who touched me? And Peter's like, I've got this one, guys. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. Like Jesus doesn't understand that he's in the midst of a crowd. Like, like the Messiah doesn't understand what's happening. That his great teacher, who's this miracle worker, doesn't realize that they're in the midst of a crowd. I'm, I, and you see the nature of Jesus relating to Peter. And he's like, right. So, <laughs> like, thank you, Peter. I appreciate your help. But somebody touched me. I felt virtue leave my body. I felt power leave my body. And so who did this? And the woman, the woman steps up and she's like, it was me. She was me, and she was trying to hide. She was trying to not be seen because a person with an issue of blood, she was unclean, and she had to live outside the city. She shouldn't have been among the people, so to confess that she touched him would be to confess that she had broken the rules, and she was among people she wasn't supposed to be among, but she came to Jesus, and she touched him. What I learned from this is that Jesus is so powerful that it took no effort for him to heal her. It only took faith from the outside. 
like some sort of miraculous God power osmosis taking place from the higher concentration of Jesus to the lower concentration of the woman. Virtue entered her body and she was healed on the spot. What an incredible woman. What a chaotic time for the disciples because you can imagine that the disciples are feeling kind of like, hey, uh, Jairus' daughter was going to die. Like, what are we doing? And, and, and so like the, the, this great welcoming turns into this kind of chaotic moment with crowds pressing in and this woman being healed who shouldn't have been there in the first place. It's, it's almost like God is completely serious about reaching all people. Like he came from this naked demoniac who was, who was terrorizing a city to heal this woman who didn't belong in a city to go to a man who was the third command in the synagogue. It's like Jesus is completely serious about all nations coming to him. Every kind of person under every kind of language of every kind of culture coming to the throne of grace to know him and to be healed and redeemed and rescued by him. It's like he's serious about that or something. Man, what if we got serious like he was serious about it? Like what if our day went from one crazy person to another? From, from that person on the, the op- opposite side of the political spectrum to someone who has great need, physically or emotionally or mentally. Wow, what if, what if our lives started to look like Jesus is a little bit more so the lives of the, the disciples was chaotic. But in this, in this chaotic moment that the disciples find themselves in, they, we see this intersection between God's relationship with time and our relationship with time. I love this verse. It says, and um, actually, i got to get back to Luke. Verse 50, while he was still speaking, going much slower than I think Jairus or any of the disciples were probably comfortable with. Because, because, because Jairus would have been, you know, like, he, we would have had motivation to impress him. He was important. This important guy has this crisis, and we're stopping to help this woman who shouldn't have been here in the first place. What are you doing, Jesus? Except for what he does for us every single day of our lives. So while he was still speaking, somebody came from the ruler's house and said, Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, but Jesus, hearing this, but Jesus. Y'all, I think we need some but Jesus in our life this Christmas. I think we need some but Jesus. We, we know the time. They said, hey, this is the time. This is the time, the time, the clock, the time's out. It went too late. The, the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years, used up all of her money. It's too late. We know what time it is. We know what time it is. It's too late. We're out of chance. We're out of opportunity. It's too late. But Jesus has a different relationship with time. And so even being dead didn't bother him. This isn't, this, this isn't the only time that, that Jesus would take his time when somebody was deathly ill. He did it with, he did it with, his, with, a, with a good friend of his, Lazarus. Lazarus. When, when Jesus found out that Lazarus was sick... And on the edge of death, he waited two days before he went to be with Lazarus. Talk about polychronic. My God. If I wait 45 minutes in a doctor's office, I get antsy. I'm twitching. You know, three minutes in, I'm on my phone. (laughs) Trying to escape. Watching Netflix, right? 
But here's Jesus for the first time taking his time getting to this person in need, so it seems. Because his relationship with time is different. Because his relationship with sickness and death is different. So Jesus starts moving again. The crowd moves with him. They get there, and they're like, he's, she's dead. And he's like, yeah, you know what time it is, but you don't understand what time it is. It's time for a miracle. And so they're standing here in the house, and the people laugh at him. I, I think that sometimes we think that the people in Scripture aren't, aren't really people or that their relationship to life and death is not as enlightened as ours, but they knew when someone was dead. Right? Can I, can I help us for a moment? Like, like these people that we read about in Scripture aren't without personality. They aren't without emotion. They aren't without pain and hope. They aren't without joy. They aren't without even basic, at that time, basic medical understanding. There, there were things that they could heal. There were processes that they were aware of. Death was something that we've been aware of ever since humans have existed. This was not a new thing. So, like, I, I can't stand it when people are like, well, maybe she wasn't dead. It's like, no, we know when somebody's dead. That's like, the, the, like you're alive or you're dead. It's not, it's not, like, they aren't that, they weren't just banging rocks together and wondering how we were walking around. They, they understood how to kill someone, and they understood whether or not somebody was alive. All right, so, so, so they're laughing. They're like, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what time it is. And everything about Jesus' disposition was like, I, I know what time it is. But you don't understand the time. It's time for a miracle. What I see screaming above this entire text is that when it seemed too late for the lady with the issue of blood, it seemed too late. It was hopeless. It was without comfort. It was without resource that she showed up at the feet of Jesus. And again, with this young girl, this 12-year-old daughter, was out of time. He had taken too long. He hadn't done enough. He didn't get there in time. He was helping someone else. Can you imagine what's going on in Jairus' heart and mind while he's helping this woman with the issue of blood? And he's just, he's like, wait a second, you just used power on that woman? What about the power that you need to heal my daughter? Like, I believe that you had power, but don't use it up on her. Use it for me. And the good news about Jesus is that he doesn't run out of power. It's not something that he lacks, that somehow if he blesses Pastor Andrew, he's not going to bless you. Or if he blesses somebody else, that he's going to run out of blessing or capacity to heal or to restore or to hope or to, to to build hope back up in your heart and mind. Like we, we, we got this idea that really the only limitation for me to relate to God is my attention span. He's not bothered by my prayers. He's not bothered by my requests. He's not bothered by it. I'm bothered by it. I'm like, oh, I gotta talk to you about this. I don't, I'd rather just watch Netflix. Hulu's got sports. Yeah, right? This is a commercial. <laughs> Yo, like, but, but it's so much easier to just, to just uh, ignore the moment than it is to ask God to teach us to understand the time. And I believe that, I believe that what, what Jesus uh, wants us to know in this time, I believe that what Jesus wants us to know at this time is that his grace is sufficient. He's not going to run out of power. It doesn't matter how wrong you've been 
or how many offenses you feel like you've built up or how many walls you've tried to establish between you and God. I believe that what we see is that, uh, that even the hopeless situation has hope when Jesus shows up. Even death can't stand up against Jesus. I believe that Jesus wants us to know the season. There was a tribe of Israel called Issachar, and, the, and, the, and we learn in uh, the Old Testament that the, the, the people of Issachar, they understood the times. They were unique among the people of God because they understood the moment. And I believe that if, we're, if we can be the kind of people to understand the moment, our hearts will be restored and healed and kept safe from a lot of the destruction that could come to us if we're just swept along by the time. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow, like, subscribe wherever you are listening from. And don't forget to share.